The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today we are joined by the wildly successful comedian, author, and pop culture podcast host Heather McDonald. Heather burst onto the scene in the late 90s, working as a writer and actress for various TV shows throughout Hollywood. She first gained popularity through her stand-up comedy shows throughout Los Angeles and eventually landing a role as a writer and roundtable regular on the hit E-series Chelsea Lately. When Heather isn't headlining theaters across the country with her comedy acts or spending time with her family, she is diving into all things pop culture on her top-rated podcast, Juicy Scoop. So we're going to dive into behind-the-scenes of the world of the show business, the difficult path to success in Hollywood, especially as a comedian, and how comedy has changed in recent years and where she thinks it's going. Heather, thank you so much for being here. We're excited to have you so on Trading like, Secrets. So now, like, who wrote that? Well, who wrote that for me? Yeah. Yeah, see, I love, no one's ever asked me so that. So somebody, like, put it together and wrote it? Yeah, they wrote, so every episode, wow. I have someone that works for me. Can you email me. that to me? That's kind of nice. Do you like that? Yeah, Should I actually that? really like it. Maybe change your bio? It can also work for my uh, eulogy, and I really love it. <laughs> Steven, do yeah. you hear that? We're going to have, Heather's going to start working for you. I'll give you yeah, his contact good information. Job. Don't take him from me. Yeah. Uh, Heather and I were just talking before I came in. The last time we saw each other, we were behind the scenes when Caitlin and Tasha were hosting Katie's season, and you you were on that season. Yes, I did. Like facilitate, facilitate a group date. What'd you think yeah. about? Are you a Bachelor fan? I was such a Bachelor fan. I watched them all. I got into it and and talked about it on the show on my show Juicy Scoop. And so they asked me to like you know help facilitate you know a date. Okay. But God, that place was so not nice. That was in the New Mexico location. Yeah. yeah. And interesting. I granted it's COVID, and then like. So I, I've never gotten COVID Not and I never took one day off. Okay. I never took a break. I was like, Hey, to my assistant, I'm, if you don't want to work, you don't have to, you can leave and get unemployment, but I'm going to be running my show. And if you want to come, it's just us and whatever. Yeah. So, you know, people would get, Oh, I can't believe she's out and smiling, whatever. I continue to work and I never got COVID. I got vaccinated. I got asked to do this thing. And part of it is that I had to be isolated for five days at this hotel in New Mexico. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I actually loved it. You loved the isolation. Loved, because I was never sick huh. and I never had that much time. To just be by yourself. I, mean, I still had to do some stuff for the podcast and stuff, but like to have like five days to like literally not do anything. I, I know a lot of people did that for two years. Sure. I don't know what that's like. Yeah. But the place was it was time of year i don't think very pretty and i said to the producers i was like like really this is what you guys got like come on you know and she said someone said to me they were supposed to go to some beautiful place in canada but because there was a spike in covid that week they had to scramble and get this place. That's right. I do remember that. That five-day experience you had was like being on the show. So when you're on the show, no phone, no TV, no internet, no nothing. Oh, so, but I had the phone and TV and internet. Yeah, but you're still nicely. Like, it yeah. was nice. It was like a, it was like a good self-reflection time. Right, yeah. But I remember that about that place too. Not to go too off on a tangent yeah. here, but that place, the food was shit. Horrible. The food there was, was like brutal. four things to choose from. Yeah. Southwest salad. And I want to say like a vegetarian chili. Yeah. A burger. 
<laughs> All right. Um, that's it. It was tough. It was in five days. And you I, had like and those four point, options. I'm like, hey, I'm leaving, but like, you guys need to find like another caterer or something because people are going to like lose their mind with their Southwest salad. Like, it was. It's got to be yeah. done. All right. Question for you there. When you got to go on the show, is that, do they do like, when they have people like you on the show, I've heard two things. Okay. Okay. I have heard that there are some people that do acts and you were hosting a day yeah. but there are some people that are comedians that do acts or country singers who sing right they have to pay to go on the show because of the exposure and then there's some people that like take a hosting role and then they get paid were you paid or did you have to pay i got paid okay i gave a third of it back in order for them to say heather mcdonald from juicy scoop interesting that's pretty yeah. cool that's something i've never and heard i was like i'm it's worth the money was worth it okay to give that up and so when they introduced you like if you're not going to say juicy scoop like come on yeah you know so yeah so yeah. We, so you asked for them to do it and then the response was a third back we will, and we'll yeah. do it which yeah. makes sense so that's that's cool i'm glad i asked that because it's like yeah. a hybrid you yeah, paid yeah. a little you got paid a little right okay real but i didn't know that that the acts actually pay to be on yeah so oh. a lot of, yeah i only know that from a buddy of mine who told me that he was interested in doing it and he told me the cost behind it and it was significant right yeah. well sometimes they do that like with like a morning show or a daytime show yeah i have a friend who was like kind of crafty and yeah. it would cost money for her to go on the show to like push her brand and her crafts or whatever. Yeah. So that, you know, because it's such a good advertising for them. And I'm like, okay. But I think, I always thought it was so funny on The Bachelor where some young guy is like 24 yep. and he'd be like, and then, and they like have the side of you. I couldn't believe that three time Grammy winner you know, yeah. <laughs> Gloria Estefan or whatever. And I'm like, as if you even know, like you're 24, this person's 60. Like you don't no. know. And as if you're like rolling off your tongue, like <laughs> American <laughs> Music Award winner, you're like, yeah, right. Yeah what, yeah, what they have to do there is like, okay, this is who it is. Or we'll be like, it is so nice to be at the, you know, Shangri-La, blah, blah. And they're like, you don't know what hotel it is, but you have to like say the hotel and the where it is and the year was established. So you're saying I mean, that to promote it. Are you able now with your career and with your fiance's career to talk about like what do you think the future is of this or do you not want to talk about that? I think it's uh, so here's the deal we, there's so, certain things contractually we still can't talk about which okay. I'm hoping on in our conversation already I haven't broken I've gotten a couple cease and desist don't okay. want another one I think what we could do is you could definitely talk about the outlook of what you think for sure that, that's well, a, just an just opinion based. it's changed so much. It's changed a lot. And I'm not yeah. just talking about the change of Mark Harrison because is that his name? Chris. Chris, Chris Harrison. Harrison. Yeah. Chris Harrison because I thought that was, I actually thought that was kind of okay. Yeah. I, I thought it was fine for Chris. Yeah. I'm like, he doesn't have to travel the world. He got a big chunk of money. He could do something else. And I felt like, and I would joke about this in my standup, but I'm like, I don't think it's a bad idea. Cause I'm like, when it started, Chris Harrison and Alex Michelle were the same age. Yep. So it was like, let me be your right hand guy to guide you. <laughs> then we get women being the bachelorette. And then everyone gets younger. And I feel like it's really young now. Like it, it used to be like 28 to 33. Sure. Now it's like 20 to like 25 max. Yeah. And so, which is fine. But I thought <laughs> it did get a little bit where it's like, Hey, so overnights are coming up. Like a little like, okay, you're literally the age of our dad. We're, and, and when the girls are sitting there with like no makeup on and their glasses, they look so young. <laughs> yes, and I was just like, I think, so I, I'm fine with that part. I think though, I just kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't know where it is. Heather's I don't know. ready for a change in the yeah, Bachelor franchise. I, or you think it's a sinking ship? 
I don't I don't know if that's a sinking ship because I think it's still such an established wheel. Yeah. I just don't know how to like reinvent it. Yeah. Like keep it, but I think it I think they need to go on like a a retreat, like everyone that works for The Bachelor, <laughs> and kind of go, what's working, what's not, but what's also like reflective with people who date. And then like, you okay. know, and then it just like becomes it. such a machine too for the people that choose to go on it. I mean, it always was a machine, even 15 years ago, where yeah. if you wanted to be like a e-news host. Sure, it sure. It was a great outlet. Yep. But now I feel like there's so many people going, well, it, if nothing else, I'll get a podcast. Or if nothing else, I'll get it. Which it's like, yeah. you know, your fiance and Nick are the only two that I feel, and, and Ashley I, yeah, Ashley that I, I feel like have like sustained it. Totally. And it's probably because you guys got going on it like four years ago. And so now I kind of feel like there's this whole just community of people, but I still think it's great because then they go on to The Bachelor in Paradise. Yes. It's still enough. It's yeah. not in the zeitgeist that it was 10 years ago, yeah. but I don't think it's going to go anywhere. It's you're, Everything you said is right. So we've had a lot of former contestants come on. And what do we talk about here? Like the career change, the money behind things. And what I've learned is there are some people from the show who have really carved out lanes. Nick's been on the podcast. Yeah. Of course, Caitlin has and have done really well and sustained it and right. will sustain it. And then there's probably the majority who haven't been able to find the lane and then it all falls apart and they move on and go in their separate direction. Yeah. But the one thing that was consistent is for about five year period, I would say from like JoJo's season, even Andy Dorfman's season to even up to like Colton Pilot Pete season, right. a lot of people in that group came off the show and were making a shit ton totally. of money that was the golden with era. Instagram influencers. Yeah, yeah. Now we just had Clayton on who was the bachelor, like it was best past season. Yeah. He came on to talk about financial misconceptions. He's like, people yeah. think that I make, he goes, I haven't made anything. I've made, I've made max $50,000 from it. And people, and I, he goes, I would be better off if I went back to my medical sales rep. So that's interesting about the show too, is the career opportunities and the launch pad for monetization has changed significantly totally. in the last couple totally, of years. Totally, because it got like anything, it gets overly saturated. But that's also the bummer too in the the pool of people that they choose from, because everybody was going on it to get the shot to, to go. Yeah. I, at least I'll get a million Instagram followers, and I can post a few things and get some free trips and wear Revolve and go to Coachella. <laughs> but like, and then you're not getting like a a quality of people. Like you you want the person that actually like left a job and that was like, you know what? I just think this would be fun, but yeah. I actually. I'm a medical sales rep. I actually am a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. Well, looking for my wife. Like, right, like a real right. story. Yeah. yeah I but get that. I felt the guys were awful these last couple of years. Interesting. And like, you know, I understand like it's, I was attracted to a different type. I'm from a different generation. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not into this like very effeminate or whatever, yeah. or like the look and the, I'm just not. So for me, I'm not really watching it anymore. Interesting. Because <sighs> it's, like, it's not my kind of... I liked... Listen, I, I'm i attracted to a guy that looks like you. Oh, thank not you, to Heather. Make Pumping my tires. Let's go. But I'll I'm take it. I'm attracted to a guy that's clean cut. <laughs> I'm attracted to the frat guy. That's And that's what the show was. <laughs> it's, yeah, oh yeah. And then and I that's... get it. They're like, let's not have the same type of people. So let's mix it up and get like an artsy person or like a nose piercing. And I get that's a style and that's fine. But that's just not, that's not 
my like that's not fun for me to watch anymore. Here's what we got to do. The thing is, guys, if you're listening from The Bachelor, if, if I don't <laughs> if I don't transition out of this, I know Heather and I are going to talk about The Bachelor the whole time, and Greg, we could. Go ahead. So we here's the takeaway. The takeaway is going to be that Bachelor producers, if you're out there, bring. Bring her back on. Bring Heather in the mix, and you will be the board of directors, and you will sit down and give Honestly, them all the advice. Honestly, or just take me to lunch, and I'll <laughs> just, just give you some lunch. consulting ideas. Yeah, <laughs> That's the answer. Yeah. Now we got to get into your career, right? Yeah. So, wild career, right? So, uh, I looked up that comedians, 72% of stand-up comedians actually have a, a bachelor's degree. You oh. have a bachelor's degree. Yes, I do, and from then, USC. From USC. And then you started doing stand-up. Was that in your like trajectory from a career perspective, did you think that was going to be the case? And if so, why even go to college? I liked it. I was into acting and all that kind of stuff. But I was really jaded by knowing how hard it is to make it in L.A. So like at six years old, I was like, well, a lot of pilots don't get picked up. Good luck, sugar. Like I was just like, so I I thought I'll go to USC, but I'm going to be a communication and business minor person. Okay. And but and when at the time when I was at SC, if somebody had a pager, that did not mean they were a drug dealer. It meant they had an agent. And I'd see someone with a pager and it would make me go, why am I not like pursuing what I should be pursuing? I know this is what I should be pursuing. So towards the end of my college, I was like getting real anxious that it was ending. And I was like, all I love to do is go down to my sorority steps on a Friday because Thursday was the party night. Yep. And people would be like, did I miss the Heather breath? breakfast where I'd recap everything, say who was hooking up with who, <laughs> imitate people. And so I was kind of like, how do I make this a job, you know? And so, but I was like, no. So I go get this job at, I went to the, the job fair, right? Okay. And there was a recession happening when I graduated in, 99, in 92. Okay. So the fact that I had like a regular job and I didn't have to move home and I could live in an apartment with three other girls in Brentwood, I was like, this is great, you know? And it was an awful job. It was an assistant buyer for Robinson's May. Okay. And that then became Macy's. And I wasn't good at it. It wasn't anything fashion driven. It was like, so anyway, I would go every day and have lunch by myself. And I had a, I always had a subscription to People Magazine. My dad would send it to me in college. We always got it. And I was like, I just want a job where one day I'm just reading this magazine for my job. Like, you know, you've heard of like of the secret. I, yeah. I would do the secret without knowing I was doing the secret. Like I look back and I would like in visualize and ask for things, but not in that formal, let's go to Michael's and make a a board. Sure, and, like, like you a know, manifestation I would just, board. Like, uh, yeah. But you you just said to yourself, I really like this shit. I like reading this. How do I make this yeah. my life? Like, how do I get paid for this? But that then was your I got fired from the job. Okay. <laughs> and, but my friend, right before I got fired, who worked there, she handed me a Learning Annex ma magazine, which was this thing that you could like go and you could see like, you could, you know, would you like to be a hairdresser? Would you like to be a film editor? A one night class that you pay like $50 for, whatever it was at the time. Okay. Do you want to be a stand-up? So I go to, do you want to be a stand-up? And the woman- Why though? Why was stand-up the thing? Were you always oh, like oh, the funny guy, so the funny when, person? Yes, I was always funny. I'd imitate everybody. And actually, my music teacher at my all-girl high school said, I don't know why you're going to USC. You should just be a stand-up. And I was like, well, how would strangers know who I'm talking about when I'm imitating the algebra teacher? <laughs> and so that's where the little, so I took the little class the one night, and then she had a whole class that you could take for like six weeks. At the end, you have an actual show at like an off night at a comedy club. 
And so I knew if I had like a deadline and I knew if like people could come watch me and my parents were so excited. They always said that. They'd be like watching A&E evening at the improv and they'd be like, Heather, you should be up there. Like I was that stand-up that actually had people that I didn't have a family that I was disappointing because I was a family of doctors. They were telling you, go do this. No, they were like, yes. They were like, you're great. Everything you do will turn out great. Question for you. Because we're going to get to that story and I can't wait. And I love that you had that support because not many people do. Yeah. But now you got to be curious. Yes. The algebra teacher. Yeah. And the the sorority recaps in the morning. Yeah. Can you give me a very small sample size of what the algebra teacher imitation looked like and what a sorority recap was that people were like, Heather's the funniest person ever? Well, I don't remember the algebra, <laughs> but so we had a brother school named Crespi. Okay. It's in Encino. My son goes there now. Okay. And my school was Louisville. And they had teepeed us. We'd teepee each other. There was a merry fountain and they put like, you know, suds in it and our whole. So we make a plan as seniors that we're going to go to Crespi and we're going to like mess it up. Right. So we did all that. And along with it, we put like tampons and pads with wings and like hung the tampons like ornaments all over this all boys school. Clean ones, clean ones. Of course. But, you know, and like teepeed their school. And so the. The president of the school, the principal, whatever she was, she she calls us in and she's like, what am I supposed to do tonight? I have to go to eighth grade girls all over and say, come to Louisville, become woman, put tampons on your brother's school. And everyone was like, and I could do like her voice perfectly. So everyone's like, do it, do it. And then she, at the end, she came up to me and she's like, I heard you do an impression of me. And I was like, sure, because now I'm like a senior and I'm graduating. So. Yeah. It was like <laughs> big, going to the all-girl high school yeah. was like definitely why I'm a female stand-up. Com- well, female. It's why I'm female because you have to be a girl together. <laughs> but that. it's definitely why I'm a stand-up today. Because I used to think I want to be a stand-up, but what man would ever want to marry a stand-up comic? Like <laughs> all the stand-ups I saw were like unattractive and very self-deprecating and very masculine. Yeah. And then when I started doing it after I got fired from that job, I was only like 22. I was like... I just got to do what God, the gift that God gave me. Because yeah. if I know that I'm, I know I have a talent to do this thing that not everybody can do. So if I put it off because it's hard, oh, I'll just do something else. I'll just get into casting or writing. Or if I don't pursue this thing that I know I have the special talent for, that is like, that's an F you to God. Yeah. Like, okay. you know? Yeah. So, so I then lo- I started doing it. So you start doing it. You start doing it through classes. That's yeah. where you're at. I had to get. Yes. The, I had to get a little breakdown there. Do a little then, classes. Then you yeah. get off class. What's the next play? I do Groundlings. What's that? Groundlings is sketch comedy theater. It's um, been around forever. It's on okay. Melrose. It's like a, a UCB or a Second City, but it's Got it's it. a little bit different of the style. It's a lot more writing and character work. Okay. And. Um, Jennifer Coolidge is still a friend of mine. She came from there. Kathy Griffin, Will Ferrell. All came from there. Yeah, Chris Parnell, Anna Gasteyer. I mean, forever people that have come from there. Okay. You know, Phil Harmon, forever. Okay, I want to get into that time and the trajectory. One thing I don't want to get away from is the people back home that could take something from your world and apply it to help them. When you went into stand-up comedy training, Mm -hmm. is there one piece of advice from that training or stand-up comedy that has like helped you in your personal life or with presentations or something that someone back home has kind of lost in their career or or lost within themselves? Like, is there one piece from that training that's actually applicable to all different things in the world? Well, I think the one thing I wish I knew earlier on, because I was auditioning and everything too for things, okay. is that they, if you're going out for something, 
the person that's interviewing you or, or you're applying for school or whatever, they want it to be you. They want it to be you. They don't want to keep doing it. Everyone's lazy. That's a good point. And it saves them time and effort. You're there because it would be easier for them to take you. And I think so many times I would go into that being like the world's against me attitude instead of, oh my God, aren't they going to be excited to see what I can bring to the table? Yeah. Okay. Like, so I think, you know, and then also as far as stand-up goes, my biggest advice to stand-up and in any career is like, nobody has your life. Okay. Nobody has your grandma. No one has where he grew up. Nobody has, you know? Yeah. There's something unique about, yes, you might be the Jewish kid from Encino whose dad was attorneys. Okay, that's that. But there's something, your unique point of view, your crazy story from your childhood. And so I always tell that to stand-ups, like, especially now with female stand-ups, I feel so many are just like, so I went out with this guy and I fucked him. Like, yeah. it's always like, oh, I'm so slutty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, okay, where are you going to go with that? <laughs> yeah. But if you could come up with an act that's like really unique, unique to, to your you. life or your Ooh. immigrant parent or whatever your funny, weird story was, then that's your unique point of view. No Ooh. one can steal that. Everyone can steal a Tinder joke. Yeah, I Everyone, love that. You know, so it's like, and then that just makes it easier in your career. And, and that goes for anything. Like I embrace that. that it's, you have something unique. And and I think if you're listening back home, that's a piece of advice. Yeah. If you're a stand-up comedian, you can yeah. use, but that's like, if you're telling a story on a first date, if right. you're trying to connect with a boss. And I also like the big takeaway of you're there for a reason, right? You get the opportunity, you're on stage, you get the interview you haven't been, been able to get. Right. Don't psych yourself out. You're there for a reason. You land the first opportunity. How much are you getting paid when you perform at this theater that all these big comedians have performed at early on in their well, career? Well, the Groundlings is a school, so you get paid nothing. Oh, it's still nothing. a school. You get paid oh, nothing. Oh, I misunderstood the that. The only time I made any money was my first job I got was I wrote for Keenan Ivory Wayne's. He had a late night talk show. Okay. And that was a real Writers Guild deal. Everybody gets the same for a five night you as a category. If you're a writer on a late night show that's like four or five nights a week, there's a base salary. So what do you think it was per week? Okay, per week, base salary. It would have been 1997 or 8. 1997. I'm going to go 1100 bucks. No, it's 2350. That's pretty that's really good. 2250. It's something for your it's first something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and the, it was But part unfortunately, of, I made a big mistake. What'd you do? So after 11 weeks, they were supposed to tell me if they are going to pick up my next 13-week contract. Because they're 13-week contracts. Yeah. Okay. And he yeah, hadn't said anything, and my agents didn't know anything. And I never called in sick or anything like that. And there was like the Tuesday, that like the next day, my manager agent goes, I have two auditions for you for like pilots, like sitcom pilots. Mm. And there's no way I could like leave in the day to do this. So I'm like, well, I've never called in sick. I'm going to call in sick, and I'm going to take the day off and go on these two auditions since they haven't told me if they're going to pick me up or not. Okay. Like, what if they don't? And yeah. I could get this sitcom. <laughs> so I call in sick. And the night before, he's like, we had a guest coming in. And he's like, I want you to work on something for this guest, this female guest. So I kind of like, he gave me like an assignment. And then I call in sick, okay, which would have been fine. Except there was, so the next day they come in and he's like, where's Heather? And the writer's assistant is like, she's sick. And then this other guy, this other comedian goes, who was writing the show goes, you know, Keenan, it is pilot season. Oh, that's such bullshit. And he was right. Yeah, but he but threw he you under the bus. Know. 
And so then that night I'm at the comedy store because I also did like a set or something. Okay. Or went to see somebody, which also is dumb. But this is before you were <laughs> posting everything, right? Sure. So you could kind of get away with it unless some dick wants to tell you. And so I call and I get a page or whatever, call me and it's the writer's assistant. And, and he's like, hey, Keenan says you don't have to come in tomorrow. And I go, no, I feel better now. He goes, no, you don't ever have to come back. Oh, shit. You just have so to come pick fired. up your stuff. So I got fired which is like one of my biggest regrets. But I wrote him this nice note and I was like, thank you for giving my first you know, job in the business and blah, blah, blah. I really wish you all the best success in life because he was a dad and stuff. And then that was it. And I was like, but then like it eventually got canceled, but I would have been picked up and I would have gotten like a residuals for like another year because I okay. paid repeats for a year. And then they wrote Scary Movie. No way. And they used all the writers and I think I would have been able to work on that and maybe even got thrown apart. So time goes on, I really regret it. And then I see him at the comedy store one night and he's so nice and I start telling him about my weird family and I'm doing stand-up and he's like, you know what, let's work together, da 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 da. This is Keenan. This is Keenan. Okay, after he fired And you. we kind of have like some things that we talk about, a couple things we like work on, whatever, but nothing. And then one of the writers from the show they go, we, again, they were writing a parody of like Signs, the okay. movie Signs, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Alien movies. Yeah. And they're like, there's always a single mom in like E.T. and all that stuff. They're like, let's, we need a single mom. So then they're like, get, he's like, get Heather. And I had just given birth to my son, who's 20 now. And I go, and they call and they're like, can you do this? And we're gonna pay you this much a week, which was still really good, to just like go to his house and like watch movies and come up with like ideas. So cool. And. I, I was like, all right, you know, and that was it. Like I, my husband was like, okay. And a really good thing about me is that I wasn't breastfeeding. That's another thing. Moms, yeah. you do not have to breastfeed. I just, but that's not why. Sure. It just didn't work out for me. Sure. So I could leave the two month old with my husband, and very capable hands, and go do these writing sessions. And then anyway, that movie got shelved, but then they're like, we want you to work on this idea. We have white chicks. No, I saw that they got, they sold white chicks, an idea. Okay. And I go to the producer and I go, I mean, can I work on this white chicks thing? I mean, you guys need at least one white chick, right? To help you write white chicks. Mm -hmm. So then they had the idea of white chicks, but then I re helped with the scenes and the characters and all that stuff. And then I got to be in it too. Oh, that is so cool. Okay, yeah. so, okay. And here's part of the real, let's go back to the numbers too. The, the, the 2300 or 23, what was it, 2350 or something. The reason I'm so intrigued yeah. by that is I, I did some research. It said the average annual income for stand-up comedians in the U.S. is sixty-nine dollars $69,500. So I was surprised that is a writer. I would think if that's the average for a stand-up, I'd expect a writer. And I know it's a different show, a different level. But that's a lot. That's in 1990-something, over 100000 a year if you annualize that. 2000 yeah, plus. Yeah, but then you would have good... breaks and stuff. You wouldn't get paid okay, during the so breaks. Okay, so it's not so you're paid a little bit more because there's it's it's contractual. Right. Got yeah. it. Okay. And so, because there's a writer's guild. I mean, that's why writer's guild and actor's guilds were were invented because people would do this shit for free. Yeah. Because we're artists and yeah. most stand-ups do stand-up for free and whatever that average is, that's also averaging what Dave Chappelle makes and sure. the, and Amy the Schumer huge and people. huge yeah. and what I make. Yeah. And so it'd be interesting what does the average Comedian make that headlines clubs make. Yeah, or the median would be good. Because the, the, yeah, the average medium. is the median. Right. That's what we'll, okay. The medium, Stay yeah. tuned to the recap, guys. We're going to get the median. I, I want to ask you about this, though. The I always think about the writers. I know you said you wrote for white chicks. And I'm going to get into that. But when I see like Jimmy Kimmel doing his speech, or you see this, yeah. some of these people, and it's all written for them, right. none of these people are writing their own stuff. Yes or no? Well, like, the way, I mean, you, you know, the way I understand it is 
you know, they still put their own spin on it and they still pick the, the jokes. Okay. But I mean, it would be impossible to write your own monologue yourself. But okay. like when we did with Keenan, he would still, he would oftentimes think it was all shit and just go out and do it himself. And so, and when I wrote on Chelsea Litley, she didn't do a monologue, but we would do topics and then we would write a bunch of jokes for her and then she would pick them and then she'd have them, but she was still very improvisational. And then she never knew what the other people were going to see on the panel. So it was a little bit different, but we still wrote stuff. And then, so yeah, but like, yeah, I is mean, it, is it possible for like, because because here's what consumers say out there. Like yeah. some people will be like, Jimmy Kimmel's not that funny, and I don't really get why he's a stand. I'm just using this right. exact example. Yeah, and I don't the, know that he even really was a stand up. Like he yeah. started with with Adam Carolla. Yes, and he really oh, yeah, got famous background. from that. And now he's been doing his own show for so long. So really, being a stand up is like a totally different. And I'm going to make a prediction that I just said yesterday. Let's hear it. I don't know that stand-up comedy will exist in like 40 years. Because of social media. No. Well, a little bit, but because younger people will not put in the work to be a great stand-up the way Fan. my generation did. And is that when you say it's, put I'm in the work? I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing it with my friend who runs a female like a, a comedy class. And she's like... I, we have the little class at the end and nobody wants to go to the open mics. Nobody wants to like put in the hours. Why? When I can do a TikTok, when I can, you know, do yeah. something and, and get the love right there from the privacy of my own home. Why would I want to go and like perform for three people and wait and humiliate myself and all that? But they, that's the only way you get good at standup. And it's like the one reason why... I don't really have to do stand-up anymore because my podcast is so successful as far as financially. But I say, like, there's so few people on this earth that can do this one particular art form Interesting. that I don't want to let the muscle go away completely. Because a lot of people can do podcasts. Yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. people can do a live totally. podcast. Stand-up comedy people, is insanely it's an, hard. It's a completely different animal to get up with just a mic for an hour and 20 minutes. No notes. No. no not, you're literally entertaining. With not singing, dancing, yeah. just your jokes. That's like one of the, I think, one of the most and, challenging and even, gigs And even though in the you're world. doing the same act, you're like tweaking it. You're getting better and better and better and better. And like having, you know. Okay. So I, wanna, I don't know that people, like if you think about it, there isn't. Like, I don't know that we're going to see a bunch of, like, 25-year-old... I don't know that we're going to see a bunch of 25-year-old, like, amazing stand-ups. I feel like the youngest one that we know is Pete Davidson, and I, I don't think he's an amazing stand-up. I think he's an interesting, funny Human. person. Yeah. But I don't know that... St he's no Dave Chappelle, you yeah. know? And Dave Chappelle was that at 25. True or false? Is it possible you could be, like, a late-night talk show individual personality that actually isn't that funny but you just have amazing writers i hear that's a misconception a lot of people are like you don't have to be a comedian they're just very talented at delivery and other people are writing for them they're not that funny do you agree or disagree with that as a comedian i totally agree Interesting. i definitely think i, I definitely think even even people there's people that are just naturally funny yes and they're like the comics comic and like make you cry every minute and like <laughs> And then there's people that like study it and like study it and the math of a joke and this and that. And then also if there, I mean, you see people act like comedians on TV and they're not comedians and you believe that they're a comedian. So yeah, if the material is given to you and you're an engaging personality, I mean, you know, is James Corden like that funny? I mean, question mark, you know, but, but yeah. he's very entertaining and sure. he was a good choice because of the singing and the likability and the English accent and all that. Like, 
I get why these people get the job, but yeah. are they the funniest? Because it's a different, again, stand-up, like, is such a different thing. And even now, like, especially with, that you don't, that I don't have to say or do anything that I don't want to do. Yeah. You know, Huge. if you're working for ABC, you're you're not going to be able to do the show you want to do. But who cares if you're getting paid $15 million a year? Right, because this is something I didn't know. Was your main job, main source of income, real estate? Yes. Wow. As a real estate agent with my parents. Well, you had to be the funniest real estate agent in the planet. Well, it would be it would be kind of funny because I'd be like on a home inspection in Burbank and yeah. someone would be like, weren't you on Malcolm yeah. in the Middle last night? And I was like, yes, I actually was. Interesting. But then it was great because I had my parents. So like I'd come over, we lived close by, and I'd go to my parents' house and I'd like have my mom read with me. Yeah. And I could always leave and I didn't, you know, I wasn't screwing over a client because there was always two other people. And I always loved real estate too. Were so. you making more money as like a writer for Keenan or in real estate? State. I mean, if I was a full-time writer for a year, probably the writer writing okay. because okay. like I, because I wasn't like fully hungry. Like my parents, I was like, you know, I was like a, a poor version of Mauricio and his two daughters. Hey, he's next. <laughs> he's Yo, coming he up next. So <laughs> I was, I always tell him that I go, I'm, I go, we were doing it first. I and mean, I actually sold a scripted show to CBS about a girl who works with her parents Come in real on. estate. No yeah. way. That is so I mean, it funny. didn't go past the pilot stage, but we did do that. Gotcha. And okay. so is, but again, I wasn't door knocking. Like the real listings would come, and then I would help service them and take the photos and like whatever. Sure. sure. And so then I, I hadn't done stand up. I stopped doing stand up because I lived all the way in Woodland Hills, and I still needed to like get people to go to the shows. And then I felt like, what am I? Do? I can't talk about dating like I'm a married woman. So I wasn't doing it, and I started watching Last Comic Standing. Yep. Do you remember that show? Oh yeah. And it was making me really it's miss funny. it. So. All of a sudden, out of the blue, this girl calls me, Lisa Sunset, who runs Pretty Funny Women, who I was telling you about. She calls me and she goes, I ran into this person and I can't believe you quit stand-up. You were like the best one I ever had. I go, I didn't quit it. She's like, Heather, I think it's been like seven years. I go, it has. So I go, all right, well, put me down. And again, like a deadline. She's like, okay, August, whatever. I'm doing a girls, all girl, funny, pretty funny woman show at the improv. I'm like, all right. So I could put me down. So now I have to come up with an act. And I'm okay. calling comedians that I used to work with, like Ian Edwards and stuff. And I'm like going through stuff. And he's like, that's funny. That's kind of hacky. And I'm like, just coming up with like this stuff about my life now, like being a mom and da, da, da. And so I go out and I do it. And I'm like, okay, now I have a solid 10 minutes. Now I can build on this. I start doing it again. And in these girl things, these girl shows, I, I, I know Chelsea, I don't know her well. Okay. So I see Chelsea and we're like having fun. And, and that girl, Lisa goes, oh, Chelsea's gonna take over Howard Stern's spot on E. It's gonna be a five, nine a week show. I don't want a full-time job. And I go, well, I do. And I could write for Chelsea. If I can write for a black guy, I can write for like a drunk, pretty blonde girl. Like that's way more up my alley, you know? So she's like, call her. And I didn't really know her. And I texted her and I was like, I want to try, I want to submit to do your show. And I think she was kind of surprised because we were always going out for the same thing. So I think sometimes people think, I always tell people, tell them, let the person know that you want the job. Yeah. It might be your best friend. And you're like, I can't believe that Jennifer didn't ask me to be her assistant. Tell them, How you, would wanna, they know? Tell them yeah. you want the job. Yeah. And so then I wrote a thing and I got the job. And then I was like, oh my God, now I'm gonna have to leave both my boys for 13 weeks, but then the show will be canceled. And at least I have a credit because now I'm 36. And if I don't get back in the game, I'm gonna be too old to ever get in it. So then I, but then of course it went on for seven years. Crazy. So would and you say so fun. that has been the biggest 
like monumental move for you definitely because space. when i started doing so then the show ended at at seven years and then i was like doing other things that i had a couple pilots at tlc that like didn't go past like six episodes or whatever and then i was like now people had podcasts back then yeah. i was guests on them i didn't even know how to listen we would mock podcasts we'd be like that loser with his podcast like we were <laughs> like that because yeah. we were tv right sure sure so then i literally said well I guess my career is so in the dumps. I'm going to a podcast. It's time for a podcast. What is it? And so I go and I'm like, and the guy goes, well, what do you think you'd call it? And I go, I always say, what's the juicy scoop? So then I got that name. And then I basically just treated it the way I did, was a writer producer on Chelsea lately because I loved all the hot topics. But instead of 60 people, it's like me. It was just me. Now I have one person. One person. But like, I come up with all the topics. I like, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I, but the freedom of it is like, I don't always have to be funny. You know, like I, I'll interview someone that's just has a juicy story or I'll do a crime with my sister who's a criminal defense attorney. Cool. You know, like, and I just love being able to do all of it myself. But that's, but asking for the job is important that you ask for the job. That's a good one. That's a good takeaway. The podcast too, Juicy Scoop podcast. So you started in 2015. That's before there was like the big, big podcast push. 800 I didn't episodes. know anyone that made a dollar. I yeah. did not know one person who made money on it. Off podcast. No, the reason I did it is I was at a, what they call B room, which is like, not, a, not like an improv, like a smaller comedy club. I was there for the weekend. And I was in the small room with the guy, like smelled like fried food. He's like <laughs> writing my check. And I look over and I see Tom Segura. Okay. And I go, oh, he's married to my friend, Christina Pazinski. I go, he has a really popular podcast. And he goes, yeah, he comes in here on a Tuesday night and makes $10,000 just from people that follow his podcast. Now he wasn't on TV. What year was this? He was not known. That would have been 2015. So that had to be earth shattering to you. And I literally was like the next day, I'm like, I'm gonna get a podcast. Cause all I thought about was I'm not on TV anymore where Chelsea's like, Heather, tell them we're gonna be this week. You know, so, I, and I was making the money for my family and only doing stand up. So I'm like, how do I get people, how do I keep the, being able to make, you know, 35, 4,000 a weekend or less doing stand up if nobody's coming? So yeah. I need, so I, I only did the podcast so that people would come to see my stand up. Interesting. And that's why when I was making $700 a month, I didn't, until the producer goes, Heather, you cannot resign this contract my first year. He's like, your numbers are huge and you're making no money. We talked about that earlier, but I don't know if the listeners heard it. $700 a month. That's what you said you were making off the podcast. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And so then what, how did you get in a position to start monetizing it aggressively? Well, I left that company. And then, so in leaving that company, we made a good deal with Wondery. Got it. And then I was at Wondery for a while and they wanted me to, instead of go to two days a week, they wanted me to like, oh, I was at two days a week, but I remember he goes, I'd rather you do two different shows. And I was like, no, I wanna just keep it what it is. So then we went to another company where then I kept it Tuesday and Thursday. Now I do, have been doing a Patreon or an extra juicy scoop okay. that Friday we should get on Apple or Patreon. And so it's really three days a week. It's and a um, yeah, and then it's just like, that's, and then of course, every time you do another deal, you have more leverage and you're more known and, but what people need to know about podcasting is like you really cannot make any money on it unless you have like 
at least, I don't know, I would guess at least 5,000 listeners to even yep. get like a micro ad. Totally. But I, the same way people were like, you'll never make it as, you know, you're never going to make any money as a stand-up. I'm like, if you, this equipment's so cheap. Like, if you want to do it, and what a great way just to chronicle anything. Totally. Or like practice on your mom. Like, I wish my parents passed. I had not started the stand, the podcast before they, they passed. Oh. But I'm like... I would have loved to have come over and like asked them these questions and just had it. And it's recorded. And, and they would have loved to have been able to listen to it yeah. and everything. I mean, they got to see my first stand-up special, but my mom did, my dad didn't. But like, I just think, so that's like, you know, that's why it's I feel cool. like, oh, who ever would have a podcast? I make fun of it too. But yeah, at the yeah, same yeah. time, yeah, you can make money at it, but also it just could like, kind of release some creative juices. Maybe it leads to you like writing something or- sure. Or you meet, or or you meet someone business. from it. Because yes, exactly. it's a good network. That's yeah. why I say too, like if you don't have downloads, whatever, you're not gonna monetize, you might be able to meet someone who can change a business trajectory or you And can it's start just satisfying because like, it's like, I remember, what is the guy with the big teeth? That's like the, Tony Robbins. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah, 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 yeah. So Tony Robbins, I got those Tony Robin tapes, okay, from a long time ago, like Pamela Anderson was on it <laughs> yeah, and stuff. Yeah. I was, because I wanted to be an actress, but I was making no money and I was not, but I was like, is it Scientology? Is it Tony Robbins? Like, what's gonna get me to like be normal in a fucking room and book a job? <laughs> and so I- I'll do anything. <laughs> I know, and so I listened to those tapes and he would say things like, even if you're doing some job, you're not, but you have this other desire to do something, like stand up or whatever. Just do something every day, whether that's like send out a resume, write an email to someone, take an acting class, do a podcast, write for an hour at a coffee shop. If that, do something that you want, just do something every single day. So I did that. And then when I was on that lyricist lounge, I ran into him at the Playboy Mansion. Okay. And I was like, oh my God, you know, you, now look at me, I'm on this MTV show, whatever. And he like sent me the whole next like DVDs. Oh really? Stuff. That's yeah. cool. So you're Tony Robbins. But no, fan I don't then. listen to any okay, of that stuff you anymore. Did. Been but there, I think done that stuff that. is good. It's like, good. I think yeah. it's, providing you don't get involved in a cult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't get caught in a cult. Don't, don't get, pay monthly like crazy. You know, 10k a month subscriptions. No, no. Don't run I'd your state I don't even be worried about like weekends away. Yeah, but like, but if there's, there's something like a book or a podcast you can listen to that's like in the safety of your own home. Yeah. I don't think it could hurt you. Agree. And if you take like one little lesson from someone just apply. I do like that. Do something every day yeah. to like move the chains forward. Let me ask you this and then we're going to get your trading secret. You got the Juicy Scoop podcast. You're yeah. a comedian and then you were a writer. Yeah. You're also a New York Times bestseller and yeah. an actor. So let's call those five revenue streams. How would you rank those five revenue streams when you look back at your professional career? Definitely the podcast is... is by a long shot. By a long shot. Okay. Yeah. Prior to that, it would have been being a staff writer on okay. Chelsea for seven years. The books were profitable. Stand up very profitable for the for the for the last like seven years of my life. The stand up was very profitable. Acting, not really. Okay, let me ask you the last last numbers yeah. question. I'm done. We'll get your training secret if you could share. What is we we already hold, we already know the 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 minimum. The minimums you you did stand up for free. Yeah. What is like the best payday you got doing a stand up scene? Oh, the best the the biggest amount. Well. I did theaters this year, so those were big one night things. But I did the Irvine Improv five shows in a weekend, and just just for the stand up, that was my biggest check. Five shows in a weekend. Yeah, is that a, that's a five figure check, or is that a six figure? No, check? that's that's five. Nice, that's awesome. But that was really that was that's that a good weekend. That was a really good weekend. But then I wanted to just do like 
just one city, you know. Yeah. So so if you do a theater, you really you really really makes sense if you can do two shows in a night. Got it. Because then you're double in that thing. city. Yeah, that makes because sense. Because it's like if you're selling 1,100 seats. You know, you could sell 1,100 seats if you do five shows at a club. That's easy. That's much easier. Yep. So sometimes when you see a comedian that's like, hey, guys, I'm I'm ready to go back to the clubs because I miss being so close to you. It means... They want more money. No, no. But oh. it also means they can't sell the theaters anymore. Oh. Because the clubs really help bring in the crowd. Interesting. Because there are people that will walk in, even if you're like... You know, they're just like, let's go see some comedy, and yeah. they go to the improv. If you're at a, if you're at a, a city winery, or if you're at a theater, I am responsible 100% to sell every single one of the tickets. Got they it. say there's marketing budget. They don't sell. They don't have to sell me any tickets. Every single person that's there it's is a hardcore you. Heather McDonald fan, it. Juicy Scooper listener. Da, da. No one just like goes, oh, this girl looks funny. Yeah, let's that go spend our happens. Friday night. But that's yeah. what's nice about. When you're headlining a comedy club, even if you just are like, I just want to do a club because I want to work on my act, whatever, you can sell a lot of tickets, but also it'll probably be really full, especially like the early show Saturday. Other people that are going to the shows. Yeah. Okay, that is so fascinating. The, the business behind the comedy scene is crazy. Your story is absolutely amazing. Two, three years from now, of all those areas, stand-up, podcast, book, writing, acting, do you have one of those that you really want to like put a little more attention to? Like in five, ten years, you're like, that's that's the place I want to be. Or do you want to keep? I doing mean, what's what you're crazy doing? is like I'm really, really satisfied. Yeah, I'm not like a crazy ego person. Yeah. Like I've had two stand-up specials. I've had two books. I always thought like I would like when I was younger. I was always like, oh, I want to be the mom in a sitcom or whatever. But I don't really feel like. Yeah. I don't feel like that's in my future, and I don't. I'm not like dying You're for okay it. With that. Like it would be Love really it. fun if Mike White came to me and said, "Do you want to go to a resort and be on the next White Lotus?" Like fuck You're yeah, <laughs> but I'm not like out there like trying to Got write it. shows and stuff because I love the podcast so much and it's such a big part of my life and I'm. It's so natural and easy for me. It's so much easier than these other things that I tried to do. So that's yeah. the other thing. You should do the thing that comes easy to you. That's a really, you know? really good piece of advice. And you guys, go check out the Juicy Scoop podcast. Starting in 2015, 800 plus episodes, 100 million big numbers guy plus download. It's amazing. Heather, but before you go, you got to give us a trading secret. It's a piece of advice. It could be something about the industry, something about money management, whatever it could be. But it's your trading secret. No one can learn it from anyone other than you, given your experience. But we need a trading secret from Heather McDonald. It's not like a real like money secret. Okay. Because I had well, I married someone very good with money. That's so I, I okay. I'll try to say, I picked someone that was good at all the things that I'm not good at and that I don't like to do. It's great. So invest money, very like financially, fiscally responsible. Likes to read contracts. Mm -hmm. He likes to return shit. All that. <laughs> likes he likes to he, 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 he reads directions. <laughs> he likes a good sale. <laughs> likes to read directions and like fix them, like read it through. Everything I hate, that's one. But the, the other thing is, sometimes this is my Maya Angela quote, but not from Maya, but I'm saying like, if I become famous people, I want people to say this quote because I think it's a great life quote. Sometimes the greatest gift someone can give you is treating you so badly that you can cut them out of your life without any guilt. Where you break yeah. up with a friend or something, and you you then a couple months later you're like, oh my god, my life is so much better without that person. But I would have had so much guilt about cutting them out. Thank God they were such a dick or such a bitch or so awful that I 
that I had to cut them out. Now I'm free. Yes. I love that piece of advice because I think that applies to people. I think it applies to relationships and friendships. I also think that applies to people that are like stuck in a shitty work environment. Yes. And they're like, I need, I now can leave this job knowing I have to and won't right. look back. And I think oh, that's a really good Being fired is the greatest gift you can get. Ever. It was for me and it was for so many people. Yeah. It's a beautiful, you just don't look back. Right. Or even when Chelsea lately ended because Chelsea, you know, didn't want to do the show anymore. Sure. You know, I, I would have never quit. Yeah. I have three kids, private school. I'm on TV. I'm a woman of a certain age. It was super fun. It was super safe. I would have never had the balls to quit. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, so the, and then I had to do something else. So, and I remember I said that. I'm like, thank you, because I would have never quit, you know, so. I love it. That's Trading Secrets with Heather McDonald. Heather, where can people find, if they don't listen or haven't heard of your podcast, where can they find a podcast? Where can they find you on social media? Where can they find all things Heather McDonald? So Heather McDonald on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, just at Heather McDonald. It's M little C capital D. And then Juicy Scoop is, of course, everywhere that you want to listen to a podcast. Also, we do every episode on YouTube. So you can watch it if you'd prefer to watch it. You can watch it. I love it. Go subscribe to Heather McDonald's YouTube. Go follow her on all social handles. Heather McDonald. The comedy scene is a wild business and industry. Thank you so much for sharing and trading all your secrets. Thanks. Ding, ding, ding. We are closing in the bell to the Heather McDonald episode. Oh my God, that was unbelievable. I mean, just the ins and outs of the industry, behind the scenes of people like Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, the money that you make, the education system of comedy, like the school, all the big people like Jennifer Coolidge, et cetera, Will Ferrell went to, and the money that was made later in her career, all to find out that podcasting has been the main revenue driver. Now, definitely, well, maybe, I was going to say, maybe not the number one brand driver, but definitely the revenue generator. This has been a really, really cool episode. And even times, like, I'm not used to interviewing a comedian. She's throwing jokes out there and, like, offside comments. I'm like, eek! But, you know, that's how they roll. I got the one, the only, the curious Canadian with me. And I know, I know when we started this episode, we're talking Bachelor Talk, that you, David, were chomping at the bit. So let's get right into it. And I'm sure you're going to want to start with Bachelor. Tell me, what are you thinking? One thing we got into, obviously, we got a little into a little Bachelor chat. Now, I, I don't care really to talk about the ins and outs of it. What I do care about is there's a theme, and, and Heather brought it up in her episode, and you're seeing it all over, and people are you know wondering about the future of the show. And we didn't really get your your opinion, your take on it, but I got a hypothetical. If yep. Mike Fleiss came up to you and wanted to make Jason Tardick the executive producer of the show and the brand The Bachelor, what are some of the things that you think that you're doing to really turn it around? I would do two things immediately. I'm CEO. The two things I would do is I would really put more emphasis on leads moving forward and really be really, really strategic with who I'm picking as a lead and why. The second thing I would do, one of the reasons that people can go on the show, come off the show and build all these businesses, it's only one reason. It's community. The engagement in the community in the Bachelor Nation since day one has been unbelievable and unlike no other of any other show. They attract the Kendall Jenners and all the Kardashians. They attract, you know, people like my mom and dad in Buffalo, New York. A to Z, they got them all. 
and then they become a community of these people. The problem is they, 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 I think they've gotten away from the community. They've gotten too focused on bullshit and they haven't gotten focused on building this community back, keeping the, keeping the alumni, building up the new talent, creating like a Bravo scenario where you're just building this unbelievable community where the people want to be part of it. The people that have gone through this want to interact. Go look on Twitter. No one's tweeting about it. Go look at the alumni. Go look at the leads. No one's got it in their bio. Like no one is really participating in the community because we feel like abandoned and so do the the people watching. And that's why you're losing your audience. Community and leads. That's my answer. I love it too. And how about I, you, David? You're a big Bachelor fan. What do you think? Well, I just feel like they could do a better job of, like you said, the community, the consistency. Like, what better would it be after a Bachelor episode? Make instead of two hours, make them an hour, have an hour after show, a half an hour after show. Get some of the people who got the most screen time back live to comment about what they were feeling in certain situations. Get people to resonate and fall in love with the characters. God forbid, what if there were five fa- five favorites that didn't find love and didn't get picked, but they were fan favorites? What if you brought the five back the next season and gave them yeah, a like, chance? Dude, that's like marketing, right? Like you, th- you think about like, like Logan Paul, right? Like you're starting to see him do stuff with UFC and then they, they talk about him fighting Patty and people are going, the whole world's talking about it. You have all these like built up controversies in Bachelor Nation that they just let go die out. Like think about all the things they could do with like exes and drama and things that happen on the internet and bring it into one. Look at every dynasty that's out there. Look at the NFL. Look at the way fans are reacting to players that are currently playing, players that become coaches and analysts, players that become Hall of Famers. Like, you know, we know the guys that are 90 years old from the NFL. We know the kids that are 12 years old in high school right now considering being recruited. They create this like dynasty through community that you're interested, like you said, to the characters, the people, the drama, what's happening. Look at the NBA draft. It's literally like a, it's literally a reality TV show. They have so much value. And you look at like, we talked about impressions last week with the Dubai trip. We now know from the PR agency, they made 29 billion impressions in the United States alone. Fucking crazy. crazy. But you think about all the people in Bachelor Nation, all they're following, all the thing they're doing on their own. Imagine you put it all together. Like, what are you what are we doing, people? It's it, stupid. It, it it is crazy. I just I can't imagine if if a real housewives of Salt Lake City and Real Housewives of New York and, and Summer House, if they all just had brand new casts every year. People would be like, What am I watching? Yeah. Or, or there was no like, you know, the BravoCon and all the, like, the ongoing stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. To me, it's look at Summer House and Winter House. You know, exactly. same cast, add a few people in. They're yeah. crushing it. They're exactly. literally crushing it. It's yeah. just ridiculous. It's stupid. And it's going to cost them big time, in my opinion. We'll see. Jason for EP of, uh, I would be right there just cheering you on, making changes. Dude, there's a million. If you, if, listen, honestly, they should hire me. Here's another reason. Think about how much fucking money we're all making after the show. And they don't yeah. do anything with it. Like, why don't you guys have your own group that are training, like teaching these people, bringing them on, keep the talent within, create your own talent agency. I, there's, think about every commercial that's, I mean, there's so much shit you could do. Okay, I'll take a breather. I'm done. Next topic. Well, I just, I do love the passion because people think that like the Bachelor alumni spite the franchise. Like they don't, they love them because it's, they gave them their, their, their platform. Like they want to give back, but like they, you know, it is what it is. We okay. spite the franchise because we get sh- we we get chewed up. We give them everything we got. We get a massive return, which we're grateful for, and then we're spit out. And no other franchises, or for the most part, the successful ones don't do that. Why not continue to curate? Why not continue to work? Why abandon? 
I just don't get the abandon. And think about if you had all the leads, all the people, all the action involved in TikTok and Instagram and Twitter last night. No one's no one's fucking unless they have a podcast where they have to recap. No one's covering it. Okay, yep. I'm done. Yeah, love it, love it. I love it. That was a fiery little conversation by us. I know. I just um, I got triggered. Something triggered me. <laughs> so let's flip the script here. Heather McDonald, our first comedian on. Were you at all intimidated comedian in the opposite chair? Like, do you think you got to be like witty on edge? Like get ready for some chirps or what? No, I love when, when someone is like super like quick and witty, I actually find myself, I get like more, I get more stimulated by the conversation and I get funnier. Like I'm funnier when like, for example, low is super quick and witty. I'm funnier when I'm with low because I'm like focused on that. Like I'm there. The only thing with, with comedians a lot of time is they're great storytellers. They love to talk. Heather's amazing. She's an amazing storyteller. She loves to talk. So I was like, I got to figure out how to get a word in here. That was Loves. the biggest issue. <laughs> yeah, I think I texted you. I was like, I think you guys. She's a great talker. I get it. Great storyteller. But I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get in here. I gotta wedge myself in here. I definitely texted you. I was like, I think you only got double digit words in that whole episode. <laughs> uh, I'm the opposite. I think I'm funnier when I'm with like, like low key people who aren't expecting me to be funny. And then if I'm around funny people because everyone thinks that I'm funny, they're like, Oh, David's funny too. And I'm sitting there in the corner, like completely frozen out of my shell. See, I'm uh, with if I'm with a bunch of like dumb dumb dolls, I'm just like I am so removed that I become unstimulated and I'm just out. I'm like, okay, I'm out. Like I need the energy and then I'll bring it and keep going. Well, tomato, tomato. Heather definitely knows a thing or two about being funny and, and in all different forms, a a writer an actor, obviously a stand-up comic, now a very successful podcast, obviously a huge bachelor fan. And she was on Katie's episode, um, kind of hosting a date couple things that I want to touch on with her that I just found really interesting. There were no, you know, curious Canadian acronyms that I needed uh, pronounced. There was no really finance questions, but there were two questions that I, you know, wanted to get your your take on. And one was about the state and the future of stand-up comedy in her eyes. And she said that in 40 years, she doesn't think that stand-up comedy will exist because of young people. And because young people don't have the drive and dedication and determination to do what it takes to be a successful stand-up comic. That kind of blew me away. And I wanted your opinion on that because I just, I never really thought about it. And here's someone who knows the industry inside and out saying this almost as matter of factly. There wasn't a lot of hint or doubt in her, in her statement. So just wanted to get your take on that. I thought it was really, really interesting. I mean, my take uh, is on this is the following. Like when I look at how I have consumed comedians over the last two years, it's, and I love stand-up, but it's rare at stand-up. I think I've gone to three or four shows in the last year or two. How I've consumed comedians is TikTok and then whether they have streaming services or on their social media. So I think there's something to be said that stand-up's going to go away. But the problem is you always have to continue to feel comfortable in front of a camera. And even the greats, even the best still to this day, go to hole-in-the-wall comedian shows just to practice their stuff. So I don't think you can get on camera. I don't think you could do it effectively even through social media, even through your iPhone, until you've done it in front of a crowd. And so I just don't think that it's going to go away. I think it will always be a stepping stone. And I also think that that's also, I, I just think this is like one of the things as you age, you think that things are going to go away. And I think that's a little ego driven. Like, I can't tell you how many leads, like talking about The Bachelor, how many leads I've heard in the last six years come off like, oh yeah, the show will be over next year. The show will be over next year. Like people think it's going to be over because they're gone. And it's just not the case, I think, for most things. Like 
The show goes on. The show will continue. That's the foundation of growing your career in comedy, no matter which venue or, or circuit your consumers are, are taking it in. And I, I don't think it goes anywhere because you have to have that stage presence live to do it effectively virtually. I like I like that take, actually. I like it. I, I used to watch a show back in the day called Last Comic Standing, which was like a oh, yeah. American Idol mm-hmm. version of stand-up comedy. And that for the first time, and I was younger, and that was the first time I was like, wow, these people actually like, this is a career. This isn't just like you just show up one day and you're funny and you talk to people. Like the amount of effort and grind that a stand-up comedian has to do. And it's almost, I feel like it's an industry where you need the street cred. Like they won't give you the opportunities. You won't get the respect from the community unless you go through the street cred. Like there aren't these reality TV stars that pop into stand-up comedy that get the credit from these people because they haven't been through the grind. I know Katie from The Bachelorette is going through that right now and she's getting some good gigs and stuff too. But it's like a big time respect industry, I feel like too. It's, I mean, it takes massive creative. You heard it from Heather. Just mm-hmm. even the writing, the thinking, the delivery is so important. And then to do it on stage, like to watch some of these people that can do stage work where they, or crowd work, they call it, where they just sit on stage and just go toe to toe like a Hannah Burner, just pick people out and be funny. <laughs> that is such a crazy skill set. Yeah. I also want to say, yeah, you need the street cred, but also look at the upside in this industry. It's a grind. It's tough to get going, but all comedians end up taking over all of TV if you're good. They get the host roles. They get Jimmy Fallon. Look at every single person that's a massive host. Kevin Hart. It's all comedians. So that's the start and the sky's the limit. That's such a good point. The last thing that I'll end with, these are just a couple takeaways. I always like to kind of hear these people who have been through, you know, a lot to become really successful and, and just have some takeaways to put into, you know, my personal life and our listeners. One quote that she said, and I just loved it because it's so plain, it's so simple, but like how often do we really do it? Let the person know you want the job. I thought that that was a really interesting takeaway. Just how simple as it is, but how much do we kind of like dance around, tiptoe around what we actually want in these scenarios? Like go up to the person, go up to the boss, go up to the hiring director, go up to the recruiting director, tell them that you want the job right? Tell them, go, if you want to work for Jason, find Jason, go up to him and say, Jason, I want to work for you. I want to work for Trading Secrets. I want to work for Reward because X, Y, Z. That's going to blow you, blow you away instead of some person being like, I love your work. And you know, I've really, I've been following. It's like, no, grab the bull by the horns here. Unless you are literally the top 1% and the 1% and the 1% and the 1% in like everything, like your look, your style, your voice, your height, your everything, unless you are like such an outlying unicorn, no one's going to just come to you and just go hand you things on a silver platter, right? If you want anything in this world, you have to go get it. If you want a job, you have to ask for it. If you want to be somewhere, you have to put it out there. Otherwise, it's just not going to come. If you think that people are going to sit in some big boardroom with all the doors closed and windows shut and then strategize and think about why you're the perfect person for that fit without you advocating for yourself, you better think differently. It's not going to happen. So I like this by Heather. I'm aligned with her. We're in agreement. And clearly, I'm fired up today, David. I don't know why. I I love it. Look, it's still, well, it's February now. So if January passed and you just didn't really get to the resolutions or the goals, you're still stuck at the desk and you want it, just listen to Jay. Just rewind that. Hit the 30-second back (laughs) button. Listen to that. Go get it. Just go get it. 2023 has just started. We ain't over yet here. And ask for it. Go get it. 
and ask for it. You never know what will come. All right, David, we're going to wrap this recap up. This has been an unbelievable episode. It's jam-packed. We have Heather McDonald, another episode of Trading Secrets You Can't Afford to Miss. Please continue to give us five stars. Give us reviews. Write them. We are listening. We are watching. And we will see you next Monday for another episode of Trading Secrets. One, let me tell you. Let me tell you. You can't afford to miss. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.